0: If you have a copy of God's Word, and I hope you do, and if you have a copy of God's Word, I hope you bring it every time. And I hope you find the Gospel of Luke chapter 9 is where we're going to be at tonight. And uh, as, as you're finding your way there, um, I just want you to maybe, uh, by show of hands, how many of y'all come in here and made a New Year's resolution? Anybody make a New Year's resolution? Okay, I see some of y'all. And then everyone else is just throwing shade, like, ah, yeah, I, I bet you did make a New Year's resolution. And, and this is the time that we make New Year's resolutions. Resolutions. and some of the most popular resolutions, some of the hands that went up, it probably involved some sort of diet, right? You went keto, you went Whole30, you went kale, you went power food, superfood, whatever it is. Or maybe some of y'all, um, you, you made a cameo at the gym Right? So you got the gym membership, 24-Hour Fitness, you signed up for the month and, and you've been there and you, you know you put on some nice workout clothes that you got for Christmas. Maybe some of you, you made a commitment to make better financial decisions this year. Some of you did that, right? Maybe save a little more money, spend a little bit less money, that sort of thing. Or, or just the general New Year's resolution, really great time of the year because you just gorged yourself on grandmama's gravy and mama's pies and so you just decided, to lose a little weight, right? So those are some of the most popular resolutions, but I thought it'd be funny. Um, I had the opportunity to just Google like funniest New Year's resolutions and uh, found some people's Twitter feeds. So I wanna draw your attention to a couple of these. Here's one uh, by Fire Lake DJ, at Fire Lake DJ, that's their handle. Never again will I take sleeping pills and laxatives on the same night. Yeah, that's just gross. Hashtag I need new sheets, all right. Next, next one here, I, I like this one. New Year's resolution, um, exercise more, but you see parenthetically, exercise my right to eat more tacos. Uh, this is a shout out to the taco truck that'll be here tonight, so you better get your money uh, and get ready to sling and get some tacos at the late night. It's going down. Um, how about this one? <laughs> New Year's resolution number 17, become as fat as I was the very first time that I thought I was fat. You get it? I remember that first time, you're like, man, I'm kind of chubby, and then I was like 10 years ago, you're like, dang. Dang. What happened now, right? All right, how about this next one? At Mr. or at FR Yo? Here we go. I am happy that this year I kept my resolution of not being passive aggressive, as opposed to somebody I know. Hashtag, you know who you are. Or last but not least, I thought this would be funny. Um, my New Year's resolution, this is somebody here tonight. My New Year's resolution is to have healthier thought patterns. Because as of right now, someone can text me okay instead of okay exclamation point, And I'll be in my head assuming they hate me or they're praying for my untimely demise. (laughs) Isn't that funny? You know, you read into people's text messages and things like that. So this is the season that we are in, January. This is the season of self-improvements. And so a lot of you, maybe you've come in here tonight and and you are in day 22. And it's a little bit disappointing because let's be honest, you probably know this, that it takes 21 days to form a new habit. And some of you all are looking back at your performance over the last 21 days and you're like, man, I did not start it. I didn't form the habit, okay? And you just kind of hit the reset button on reading the Bible in a year or doing the diet or whatever it is. And you're here tonight, and it's just that part of, uh, of the year. And you, you, maybe you tried dry January, and then the Chiefs lost. And you're like, man, forget it, Right? Just kidding. All right, we're going to pray for you if that's you. Anyway, and so maybe you've tried a few things, and even if you didn't write down your New Year's resolution, and even if you didn't tell somebody your New Year's resolution, this is the time of year that we're all asking ourselves this question right here. What should I do about me? What should I do about me? And listen, this isn't a bad question. Like, like you and I, we should be evaluating our eating habits. We should be evaluating our, our self and our self-improvement abilities and all of those sort of things. And, and we should be making resolutions. I like resolutions. I'm not here to bash your resolutions. But I am here to call you tonight and I am here to call you this year to something so much more than just a New Year's resolution. I want to call you to something so much bigger than that, so much more heroic than that. Because listen, resolutions are all about self improvement and they're not bad in and of themselves. But I'm calling you to be a part of a revolution because revolutions have the power to change the world. And every one of you are here tonight because you have been created by God on an assignment, on purpose. And you are an integral part of what it means and what it's going to take to be a part of the greatest movement and to perpetuate the Jesus movement called the Jesus Revolution. And we want to see a generation of young adults rise up to the occasion and usher in the great consummation of the end age and the next great movement of God in this world. Because, listen, we are poised for a great movement of God. And some of you will say, Chad, well, how do you know that? Well, just Look around. Don't you know that it's always the darkest right before the dawn? And don't you know that our world is so broken and so jacked up? I mean, it doesn't take long. I mean, it, it doesn't take much time for you to figure out and just to look around and see that things are broken. And then you start looking in the mirror and you realize, oh, it's not just broken out there. Something is broken in here. But listen, you have divine DNA running through your veins and God wants you to rise up and be a part of his great movement called the church and the revolution so that you can impact this world in 2019 and you can stumble, not even stumble, you can narrow your focus and you can strategically come upon the reason why you were made. And so we're kicking off this new series called New Year's Revolution. New Year's Revolution. I want to give you a definition of revolution real quick just so that we're on the same page. A revolution is defined as an overthrow of one way of life for a new favorable one. We titled this ministry, we call this ministry Paradigm. Because we want to see young adults change their paradigm. Change their way of thinking that will lead to a different way of living. We want you to evaluate your, your life, and some of you are here, and you're following Christ. Others of you are here, and you're checking out Christ. And we want you to, wherever you're at, evaluate your life and consider, do I need to overthrow this old way of life for a new favorable one? And so tonight, I titled the message, The Day That the Revolution Began. And I want you to see tonight the crux of the revolution. I want you to see the call to the revolution, and before we leave tonight, I want you to see how you can be a part of this amazing thing called the Jesus Revolution. So Luke chapter nine is where we're gonna be at tonight, and Luke, he's a physician by trade, and, and so when he wrote the, his his account of the life of Jesus, it, he, he, he wrote it as, a, as one that was a little bit skeptical about the, the things that he had heard about Jesus. He was sponsored by a guy named Theophilus, who was a rich man, and Theophilus said, Luke, I need you to go get the facts, I need you to get the eyewitnesses account, and, and I need you to bring them together, and I need you simply to present it the way that it went down in Judea and Galilee and Jerusalem and the Middle East. And so Luke, that's what he's doing. And so he, he interviews all these people, and then he has the Gospel of Luke. And so maybe you're here tonight and you're a little bit skeptical. Man, this is a great book of the Bible for you to start in. It's, it's a, a doctor, a medical doctor that was smart, that had great research. It's been validated by a lot of scrutiny throughout history, and you can stumble upon that, and you can read in the Gospel of Luke just the eyewitness account in the, in the collection of the life of Jesus. So in Luke chapter 9, Jesus is like at the pinnacle of his success in ministry. And people are wanting to be around Jesus. He's doing amazing things. And, and in this particular chapter, he's already recruited his his disciples is what we call them, or like his entourage, his followers. And, and he's teaching them. He sent them out to do ministry. And, and he's teaching them about the kingdom that he's brought to usher in in this revolution. And he's also doing these amazing things. He's fed thousands of people. And so people are being impacted by Jesus. He's impacted his local environment. And then there's this great question where he narrows it down and he gets his guys together. And he's like, hey, guys, I got a question, okay? Question, who are people saying that I am? And they begin to say, well, they, you, they say this, they say this. And then he says, okay, okay, look at me. Who do you say that I am? And that's a great question. I wonder, who do you say Jesus is? And Peter, one of Jesus' best friends, he looks at him, and this is kind of one of Peter's highlight moments. This is like a highlight reel of his life. He looks at Jesus and he says, you are the Christ. And what Peter was saying is that you are the leader of our revolutionary. And Jesus is like, yes. And then what Jesus says next probably would have made his guys' jaws hit the floor. And here's what he says, picking up in verse 22. He says to his guys, the son of man, he's, it's what he's talking about himself, He says, the son of man, I must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes. Uh, Those three categories of people, those were like the Bible thumpers of the day. These were the religious people of the day. And Jesus says that I'm going to be rejected by the people that should be accepting me the most. He says, so I'm going to suffer many things, be rejected and be killed. They would be like, whoa, whoa, time out, Jesus. You're, you're, the, you're the leader. You're our Joshua of the old t- I mean, you're the leader. You're our great warrior. You're, you're going to be our king, our revolutionary. What do you mean be killed? And then he said something they would have been so confused about. Because, listen, even if I was to tell you today, like, I'm about to go do something that's going to get me shot. And dead, right? Y'all be like, all right, well, good luck. Do you have life insurance? That sort of thing. You know, I mean, I, if, I, if I warned you of that, y'all could believe that. But then if I said, hey, but don't worry about it, I'm going to raise in the third day, i be like, okay, buddy, you're really off your rocker now. What were you smoking over the New Year's holiday, right? And so they would have been no different in this day and age. People didn't say, I'm going to die, but I'm going to raise to the life. And people were like, oh, yeah, we see that happen all the time. They never saw that. And so Jesus says this I'm going to be rejected, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to be killed and be raised the third day. Hey, point number one, if you're taking notes tonight, write this down, the crux of the revolution. The crux of the revolution. That word crux, it means the basis or the foundation or the core. And listen, the crux of the revolution is the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus so that you can live a life on mission. And so I don't know if you've come in here tonight and, and if your approach to Christianity was, I don't know if it was any similar, like, or I don't know if it's very similar uh, to the approach to Christianity I had most of my life. And, and so for most of my, let me explain, most of my life I thought that, like, the end game of Christianity was salvation, okay? And so, like, we've got to get as many people to know Jesus as possible, We've got, to get as, we've got to get as many people in heaven as possible. Maybe you heard things like that. Or, or we need to reach as many people for Jesus as possible. And so when you hear those phrases, you start thinking, okay, well, the purpose of my existence is to go to heaven. And, and I need to know God so I can get to heaven. And so it's kind of like a, this, you know, we treat it kind of like an insurance card, insurance policy. And so you pray the prayer, you walk the aisle, you get baptized, whatever it is in your tradition. And you do the deal so that when you die, you go to heaven, right? And, and I thought for most of my life, like that was the whole end game of Christianity. I'm here to tell you, that's not the end game of Christianity. The reason why Jesus came to this earth, died on a cross, rose from the grave, is so much more than you just going to heaven. He call, he's calling you to be a part of a movement. He wants to impact and call your life. He wants you to, to have purpose and meaning in your life. Let me explain it this way. So um, a few years ago, I had the privilege of crossing paths with a woman who I never thought I had the chance with, and then I found out that, like, she liked me, and I'm like, are you serious? And so I was like, all right, sign me up, you know? And so I asked her to be my girlfriend, and, and then we started dating, and then we got engaged, and, and then on November 17th, 2007, uh, we, we got married. Y'all can see us right here. Y'all, ready, y'all ain't ready for that hair. Y'all ain't ready for that. Come on pick it off me. I know Greco Roman. Here we go. Okay. Photoshop me looking all good. They didn't touch her. She looked that good. She still does. She's beautiful. And listen, that was not the end of our relationship. I didn't get married. I didn't say I do to Chelsea that day and, and then say, okay, check it off my bucket list. See you later, girl. No, no, like, that. you you could say this, that the marriage, that wedding, it was not the end of our relationship, but it was the beginning of our happily ever after. And for us, like, what, what we did is we did not part ways, and I share that story with you tonight because, listen, a lot of us think that once we get a relationship with Jesus, we pray a prayer, we check a box, that's the end. And we go do our life, and then when we die, then that's when we'll resume things with God. Jesus did not die on a cross. He did not raise from the grave just so that you can coast through your life and then have time with Him someday later. He died so that you could be a part of the revolution. And listen, salvation is not the end game for Jesus, salvation is the beginning. That's when it starts. And so you may be dating Jesus, you may be engaged to Jesus, but I'm saying you, gotta get, you need to put a ring on it with Jesus, all right? You need to get married, and then that begins your relationship with him. That salvation is an invitation into the revolution. And Jesus wants you to rise up revolutionary. And the crux of the revolution is the cross of Jesus. But why did Jesus have to die? I mean, really, why, why, why that means, and why is that the core of the revolution, this man dying on a cross? See, Jesus was killed not because he was religious. He was killed because he was dangerous. And the religious of the day, they feared Jesus because they feared losing control. And see, Christianity is not a religion because religions are built on man's control of other men. Christianity is a relationship, it's a revolution that is built on Jesus being the pastor of us all. He is our leader, he is the one that we are following. And so these these religious people, they wanted to kill Jesus because of the claims he was making. He was saying, I am God, basically. They wanted to kill Jesus because of the deeds he was doing. They wanted to kill him because he was about to revolutionize their traditions. He was about to remove their racial boundaries and barriers and say, hey, God created all people equal, and you need to treat all people with love and with dignity and respect. That Jesus was about to redo and undo so many things. And these people, they didn't want that. And so the religious, they wanted to kill Jesus because they saw him as a threat, they saw him as dangerous. And Jesus didn't come to start a religion. He came to start a revolution. And the Romans and the the people that ran the the empire that day and age, if they heard that somebody was here to be a revolutionary, they had one response to that. That was a crucifixion. And so once they found Jesus, and once they thought he was an insurrectionist or a revolutionary, they killed him. And the Romans, they were good at this. The crucifixion, it was invented by the Persians in 500 B.C. It was perfected by the Romans in the day of Jesus. Josephus, a Jewish historian, he called it the most wretched of deaths. Cicero, a Roman philosopher, he said decent Roman citizens dare not even speak about the crucifixion. There was a word invented to describe the pain of the crucifixion. It's the word excruciating. You ever used that before? It literally means from the cross that when they crucified somebody, they ran nails like they did to Jesus into the most sensitive nerve centers in his arms. You ever hit your funny bone and it sends that shot of pain all throughout your arm, you know? Well, they would lay those nails up along that ulnar nerve that runs through your arm, and then they would run a nail through both your feet, one of the most sensitive areas of your body. And so every time you, you moved a little bit, man, your body would twitch, The way that you died on the cross was through asphyxiation. You would literally drown on the fluids in your own body. And the Romans, they were skillful at this. The Jews believed out of Deuteronomy chapter 21 that cursed was any man that was hung on a tree. And Jesus endured the cross for you and I. That he died, they ran a a spear through his heart, leaving his heart literally broken and metaphorically broken for the world and all of the great and harsh and terrible and brutal pain that was poured upon Jesus pales in comparison to what was poured upon him by God Almighty. That What what makes Jesus' death unique out of any other death that's taken place in human history is that Jesus was sinless and that he satisfied the wrath of God. That Jesus is our propitiation is what the word of God says. And propitiation is this big theological word that has profound meaning. It literally means that Jesus is like the, the sponge that absorbed the wrath of God that was supposed to be poured out on mankind. John, one of Jesus' best friends, he was the only guy that was there that day when Jesus was being crucified at the base of the cross. He said this about Jesus. He said that he is the propitiation of our sin. He's that wrath sponge, not only for our sins, but for the entire world. That Isaiah, a prophet that lived 700 years before Jesus, he would say this about the Messiah. That the Messiah, Jesus, he would be smitten by God. That not only would he die, but the full weight of the sins of the world would be cast upon him. Listen, Jesus died for our sin. What's so odd is that is somehow the day the revolution began. See, most people would think if the leader of the revolution died, then the revolution would die with him. And so we would think that the day that Jesus was crucified would be the day that the revolution died. And, and, and it, it appears that way when you look at the story because those early followers, man, they were scared for their life. And so they scattered. And, and these, these ones that were like, Jesus, will be with you until the end, they, they recanted and they became doubters that Jesus was who he said he was until three days later. And history records that Jesus on the third day, that stone rolled away, that he was in a borrowed tomb, And he resurrected and he rose from the grave. And listen, the crux of the revolution is the good news that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, but he didn't stay there and he rose from the grave. And that the death and the burial and the the resurrection began the revolution. And these ones that were scattered, they united. And these doubters, they became shouters that he's alive. And you can kill me, but I will not change what I have seen. See, you and I, if you come here and you claim to follow Jesus, you're not putting your faith in what men believed. You're putting your faith in what men saw. That the gospel is not doctrine, it is not belief, it is news. It is the revelation of what took place in history. I wonder, has your life been changed by this news? Has there been a time in your life where you're like, oh, my goodness, it makes sense. My heart has been melted and moved by the price God paid. Have you been changed by this? Have you joined the revolution? This thing called Paradigm that we're doing tonight, it started just a few years ago with about 40 young adults who said, we believe in this revolution. We believe in this Jesus who died on our behalf and rose from the grave. And they united and they began to pray and worship and they began to hear the preaching of God's word. And then they didn't think that ministry on the stage was it. They said that ministry off the stage is just as important as ministry on the stage. And so they went out and said, God wants to use me. And this thing called paradigm that started just about four or five years ago, it, it has grown into what we know today. And listen, as we concluded last year, what we did is that we, we just celebrated the lives that have been changed by Jesus. We celebrated those who have joined the revolution and we celebrated drug addicts becoming sober. We celebrated people that were so gripped with anxiety, saying, hey, I wanna be liberated and I'm gonna choose to trust Christ with my anxiety. We celebrated sex addicts and we celebrated codependent relationship people that were liberated and that are walking in Christ's community and they're being changed by this revolution called the Jesus Revolution. God is calling us to something so much greater He wants you, every one of you, to be a part of this great mission in this great movement. He wants to accomplish the purpose in which he created you. And some of you need to awake to that reality tonight. So Jesus, he says these things, and then he looks at his guys, and what he says next would have been even even crazier at some level. And so in verse 23, he looks at them, he says this. He says, look at me, guys, look at me. He said, you got to get this, okay? This is real serious. He says, listen, if anyone desires to come after me, y'all want to follow me? They're like, yeah, bro, we, we are following you. Revolution. You know, they're all excited. Okay, tell us what we need to do. Here's what he says. If you want to come after me, you got to deny yourself. Nathaniel, you looking at me? Uh, Andrew, you looking at me? You know, Thomas, over here, buddy. Uh, come on, Judas. Come on, right here. If you want to come after me, you got to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Point number two, if you're taking notes, then I want you to write this down. The call to the revolution. The call to the revolution. See, Jesus isn't saying, hey, walk an aisle, pray a prayer, check a box, get baptized, that sort of thing. He's saying, if you want to come after me, if you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple, you got to deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. I want you to write this down. The call of the revolution is a daily decision to deny yourself. The call to the revolution is a daily decision to deny yourself, which is, that's hard to hear, right? Because we are in January, this is self-improvement month, right, and so some of you are here and you're like, Chad, are you saying that I can't like improve myself? No, that's not what I'm saying, all right? Some of y'all were looking for an excuse to go eat ice cream tonight, like oh, we gotta die to ourselves, might as well just die sooner, right, and so let, let let me be real clear, you can improve yourself Jesus is not saying, hey, don't improve yourself. What he is saying is that you can't live for yourself. Don't miss the difference. See, self-improvement, I believe it honors God. You should steward your body. You should watch what you eat. You should watch your finances and how you spend money. You should be careful where you go and who you hang out with, those sort of things. You should run a diagnostic on your life and how are you doing. Jesus is all about self-improvement. He's all about excellence. Excellence honors God it, and it inspires people. But Jesus is diabolically opposed to selfishness. So listen, get swole, get rich, get healthy. You, you get financially stable. You, you get the things that you want to do and you accomplish your resolutions. But listen, don't miss the reason why you were made. You were made way for way more than just self-improvement. You were made to be a part of the greatest movement known that has ever swept planet earth, that has built hospitals and has housed orphans and has educated people and has preserved life and given hope. The irresistible revolution called the church. Note this, if you want to join the revolution, it involves your own crucifixion. So you may want to write this down. The call of the revolution involves your own crucifixion. When Jesus would have told them, hey, you need to take up your cross and follow me daily, like they would have been like, Jesus, shh, you can't say that out loud around here, man. Don't you know what happened? See, where they're at, they're passing through Galilee on their way to Jerusalem in Luke chapter 9. And just a couple of decades before, what had happened on the streets that they were probably walking down was there was a little bit of a revolt. There was a little bit of an uprising, an insurrection, a revolution, if you will. And so right after Herod, the guy, the baby killer Herod that killed all the babies when Jesus was born, I don't know if y'all remember that story, but anyway, he butchered all the babies in Bethlehem, and, uh, and then he died shortly thereafter, around 4 BC, and after he died, there were some Jews that said, all right, Herod's gone, man, Let's, it's time for us to, to rise up and overthrow Rome and to, and to get our, our land back. And so they began to revolt, and so Rome hired a guy that they had already employed as like an army general in Syria, a guy named Varus, and they said, Varus, we need you to go in and and basically calmed the, the revolt down. And so Varus came in under the authority of Rome, and with the power of Rome, and with the army of Rome, and he squashed the revolt. And just a couple of decades prior to Jesus and his guys standing there, 2,000 men had been crucified in these streets. And maybe some of these men were relatives of these followers of Jesus. And Jesus looks at them and he says, if you want to follow me, You've got to take up your cross daily. And they would have been like, what are you you saying, Jesus? And he's saying, listen, a life committed to my cause is a life of sacrifice. And you've got to be willing to lay down your life for my sake, and you will not regret it. And the call to the revolution And the call to be a revolutionary is the call to pick up the cross and to bear the cross. It is a call to your own crucifixion. I wonder, what do you need to crucify in your life today? What is that flesh, that thing that is wanting to live and wanting to have it your way? What do you need to lay to rest and Jesus gives us a third thing. He says, you got to follow me. And so in order for you to be a part of the revolution, it is a call to follow Jesus. You could write that down. The call of the revolution is a call to follow Jesus. One of the best examples of what it looks like to follow Jesus in the Bible is a guy named Paul. And Paul wasn't like, he, didn't, he wasn't born a Christian. He, wasn't, he doesn't have like the nice, clean testimony, and he doesn't have all that stuff. Paul was, at one time, his name was Saul, and he was diabolically opposed to the purposes of Christ and and Paul when he was Saul he was like he was like al qaeda he was like a terrorist against the movement of christianity and so he had a past and he had killed people and and he had persecuted people and he was like a do gooder and he was such a do gooder that he hated people that didn't do good like he did and so he killed them and so I don't know how you get to that place, but anyway, that's where he was. And then one day he was headed to persecute people so that he could prosecute cute them, put them in prison, and hopefully kill them. And Jesus meets him on this road on the way to Damascus. And when he meets him, man, it revolutionizes Paul's life, and he joins the revolution. And when you read Paul and you get to know Paul, man, he knew that he didn't meet Jesus that day on the road to Damascus just so that he could go to heaven someday. He met Jesus on that day so that he could change his thinking, change his paradigm, and then live for the reason in which he was knit together in his mother's womb. He understood I was knit to know Jesus and to make him known. And so he says this in Philippians chapter 3, and I think it's so good. He says in Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 12, he says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, Because listen, when you follow Jesus, you're not going to be perfect. Nobody's perfect, all right? And so Paul's like, listen, I know I've got a lot of wins in my, you know, a lot of tallies in my win column, but I haven't even reached it. He says this, but I press on to possess that perfection or maturity for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. Verse 13, he says, no, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. I forget the past and I look forward to what lies ahead. Verse 14, he says, I press on. Y'all say press on. You got to press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. And then in verse 17, I love this. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our examples. See, revolutionaries carry their cross and they become like Jesus. And so the goal of you following Jesus is maturity. The goal is godliness, you could write that down. And so uh, we have some dominoes up here just to try to illustrate this. And, and I want you just to imagine that, that this is the goal right here, this big domino, okay? And the goal is Christlikeness. likeness And so here's what I want you to think. Who is the godliest person that you know, all right? Get them in your mind. That's the goal, okay? And maybe Billy Graham, maybe Martin Luther King Jr. It may be uh, your grandma. It may be a pastor. It may be a missionary. Um, it, it may be a, a street preacher. It may be that the Kansas City running man, the Superman. I can't remember his name, but he's retired. But godly dude. Y'all know what I'm talking about? The guy at the Royals games, you ran all the way. Anyway, lots of marathons. Godly guys. So it may, I don't know who it is for you, but get into your mind. And I want you to think, like, what do you need to do to get to that place, to get to the place where you are the man or the woman of God that he has created you to be. Because listen, every one of us have walked in here and we're like this domino tonight. And this is where you are, and you've got to determine where you want to be. But what is so frustrating in our lives is that we want a microwave Christianity, right? We want to be able to put us in the microwave, and then in about three minutes, come out and we're like, boom, we're mature. Okay? And so what happens is that, is that we get the picture of that godly person in our mind, and then we begin to try to just snap into that person, and then we get frustrated. I mean, it would be like me trying to knock this domino over with this little one, and so it's not going to work. And so you think, okay, I'm going to try again, and I mean, you, I mean, you get after and, it, and it's, it's not going to work. And no matter how hard I throw this, no matter how many times I try, I'm not going to get there, and so I've got to try something else. It's called the domino effect. It's where you set something in motion. Where you're at, it's, just a, it's a simple act of obedience in Christianity. And you set it in motion, and then once it goes in motion, it begins to gain momentum. Then there's a tipping point, and one act of obedience leads to another act of obedience that leads to another act of obedience. And listen, you are capturing what is called the eighth wonder of the world off of the lips of Einstein. It's called compounding interest, or we just call it momentum. If you're taking notes, maybe you could ask yourself this question. What act of following Jesus do you need to set in motion? What act of following Jesus do you need to set in motion to get the momentum to become mature? Because listen, you're only becoming more of who you are today. No one just stumbles into godliness. No one just goes to bed where you're at and then you wake up just in the Shekinah glory of just hearing the Spirit of God lead you and use you and moving mountains and all that kind of stuff you've got to set a simple act in motion. And so it's called the domino effect. And the domino effect is a a kind of a physics phenomenon that if you start with a domino that's about five millimeters tall, you increase in size one and a half times. By the time you get to 29 dominoes, you're toppling the the empire state building. And it's this idea that if you just do where you, what you need to do right where you're at in order to follow Jesus, you're going to gain momentum. You're going to get compounding interest. And so I want you to imagine that this is you right where you're at here tonight. And 2019 is the moment of decision for you. And you have positioned yourself in a place where you can reach the goal that you want to reach. But listen, your intentions are not sufficient for you to reach your goal. Momentum never gets going based upon intentions. And listen, your faith will die in the soil of good intentions. And tonight, 2019, is a, it's a year of decisions. And your faith will thrive when you make decisions to set your faith in motion. And then you'll gain the momentum so that you can become the man or the woman of God that, that he has made you to become. And so tonight, what do you say, revolutionaries? That we set this thing in motion and we begin to gain the momentum that we need to gain to get the goal that we need to reach. It's called compounding interest. It's called you and I being a revolutionary and rising up. What act of faith, excuse me, what act of following Jesus do you need to set in motion tonight? Growth is the goal. Not talking, maybe you need to write it down. Write it down. Hey, I need to do this tonight. Listen, this is the season that you get into God's word. You're never gonna have more undivided time in your life than you have right now. This is the season that you open up the scriptures and you say, God, I wanna know you. This is the season that you live on mission. If you have not been on an international mission trip, if you have not been a part of Unashamed and you claim to know Christ, this is the year. Set the things in motion that you long to set in motion so that you can become the person that you were created to become. See, the revolution should be marked by an evolution. I'm not talking about Darwin and the the origin of species, okay, y'all calm down, right? I'm talking about a change. If you claim to know Christ and you have not changed, do you know Christ? Because listen, healthy things, they grow. What act of following Jesus do you need to set in motion to get the momentum to become mature in Christ? What if 2019 was a revolutionary year where you chose to follow God's way in a new way? What if this was the year that that you got into community and you quit living in anonymity? What if this was the year that you were a revolutionary in your service and you chose to improve yourself and also deny yourself? What if this was the year that you were revolutionary with your wealth and your bank account began to reflect your belief? What if this was the year that you were revolutionary in your romance and your sex life reflected what you find in the scriptures? What if this was the year that you were revolutionary in your work and you saw that you are called to work with excellence, being the greatest employee on the payroll, but also with evangelism and living a life on purpose where you're planted What if this year was the year that you begin to live revolutionary in your worship, and you quit robbing God of the glory that is due His name, and you begin to connect the Creator with the creation, and you said, oh God, I see that you have made all things so that I would worship you in all things. We are calling you to more than some self-help movement, some sort of sprinkle Jesus on top of your self-help approach, Tony Robbins-type spirituality. We are calling you to be a part of the revolution, to come and see this great God who is worthy of you coming and dying so that he can live through you. And over the next couple of weeks, we will look at what it looks like to be a part of this revolution, practically. And so I hope you lean in and listen, because God has something for you, paradigm. He wants to change you, and he wants to shape you so that you can become the man or the woman of God that he's created you to become. Jesus, he kind of tops off this section of Scripture with something that that seems so counterintuitive, but this is just the way of Christ and the kingdom that he brought. In verse 24, he says this, For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Isn't that weird? When you try to live for yourself, you wind up living by yourself. If you try to save your life, you lose it. He says this, but whoever loses his life, listen, for my sake will save it. 25, he says, for what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? Revolutionaries, write this down, revolutionaries choose to lose their life. That there are so many people in this room here tonight and there are so many people in our world today that are, that are seeking to find life and seeking to live it up. And so we have this entertainment society, and and we are like way more advanced than we've ever been in the scope of human history. And and, and guys, it doesn't take long to look at Hollywood or look at the meccas of of people who have it all together and realize something is broke. And so we look back and we see men like Henry uh, Weinstein. And we're like, man, this guy is an incredible entertainer. And we've, we've looked at so many of the movies that he's been responsible for, but he is a diabolical, just nasty man because of the things that are in his heart, the way that he would manipulate people and, and think that they would have to somehow submit to him sexually so that they can get ahead in that industry. And he, he used and abused his authority and his power and his creativity. And we look back and we see the tragedies of celebrities like Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain, who tragically took their own life. And we looked at them, we go, oh, they have everything that I wanted. We think somehow, some way, if we got what they had, we would, we would have a different outcome. And it's tragic what took place to those people. And we think that if we had what they had, we would have a different life. Or even last year, we see the, the, the craziness of the Me Too movement. And all of these women coming out and all these people coming out and saying, man, I've been harassed here and I, I was raped and I was taken advantage of. And, and you just see the, the reverberation of our rebellious ways and the sin that is so evident in our culture. And we think, oh, I'm gonna chase life in those places and think somehow my life will be different than those people's lives. All the while turning a blind eye to the reality that our world is broken. Listen, Jesus patented you. He made you. He patented pleasure. He patented uh, fulfillment. He created it all. And so when he says something, our ears should perk up, and we should listen and say, okay, if you say if I lose my life for your sake, Jesus, I'm trusting that your way is better. But it's so hard to do that, isn't it? Like when we read that, it's so limiting. Lose my life? I don't know, man. I've still got some things I want to do. And and, and so what happens is that we think that we can chase whatever we want to chase now and still somehow have a commitment to Christ. And listen, it doesn't work that way. I've lived enough life to know this about my life. I've done this enough to know that what you chase now is going to capture you later. We all want the freedom to to chase whatever we want uh, entertainment-wise. We want the freedom to chase whatever we want pleasure-wise. We want the freedom to chase whatever we want money-wise. We want the freedom to do all these things. But listen, those are booby-trapped. And what you chase now will capture you later. What you eat today is going to come out tomorrow. And so you need to examine what's on your menu. You need to investigate what you have ingested What songs, what movies, what people, what places, what things are you taking in? Because listen, I don't know about you, but I don't want to waste a day. I don't want to lose life. And the one that made me, the one that knit me together in my mother's womb, the one that says I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, he says, if you want life, lay it down for my sake. And so many of you know this to be true because you have. I don't have to convince you. If you're here and you don't believe this and you're skeptical, glad you're here. Won't you just ask somebody that's wearing a lanyard, say, hey, that brother up there in the plaid shirt, I think he's tripping. What about you? Ask them. Ask them what God's done in their life. And you'll hear them unfold the glories and the mysteries of the gospel and what he's done. Listen, you can't live it up now and think that you can lay it down later. I've done this. I've tried it. You can't eat how you want, drink what you want, sleep with who you want, buy now, pay later, and think that you're going to get away with it. You're not. What you chase today will catch you later. So be careful. So what happens is that we, we have a hard time believing this and we get stuck in these cycles, right? We get stuck in these, these rhythms of rebellion, these revolutions of of ridiculousness where we begin to abuse the grace of God and we somehow begin to justify our masturbation habit or we justify our eating habits or we justify living together or we justify our self-righteousness or we justify our worry, our anxiety. We justify all of these things. And we think, oh, well, God's got grace, I've got sin, it's all gonna work out in the end. But that's not what we find in the word of God. Jude chapter one, verse four says this, some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. Some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches saying God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago, for they have denied our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Hey, point number three, and finally tonight, if you're taking notes, write this down, the end of the revolution. The end of the revolution. See, we are only one generation away from the revolution going away. And what we're seeing in Western Europe is indicative of what's happening in our nation today. This church, the Westminster Abbey, was once the Mecca of so many great things in regards to Christianity. It was once the hub of Christianity. Now we know this church because it um, is the place where you know, there was a royal wedding and it's kind of this big expensive museum today. Once the hub of Christianity, a third of the King James Bible was translated in this church. Now it's just a mausoleum where famous buried people like David Livingstone and Isaac Newton and Charles Darwin are buried. Darwin in a church, kind of strange, Right? And some people say, well, that's strange that this great church, once so powerful and influential, has now just become like a museum and a hollow example of what used to be. Isn't that strange? And I would say, that's not strange. That's symbolic. Because here's what's happening in Europe. 6.3% of Europeans attend church today. More books have been written in Europe, more paintings painted in Europe, more songs written in Europe about Jesus than any other continent, but today, 6.3% attend church, and only 2.5% of Europeans attend Bible-believing churches. Because listen, when a generation retreats and focuses on itself, it implodes. And this is what is taking place in our generation, so revolutionaries, it's time to rise up and to push back the darkness. That studies tell us that our generation, the, the Gen Y and the Gen Z, we only 4% Bible-believing. That 60 to 90% of us, we, we, when we graduated high school, we left the church too. And some of you, that's been indicative of your story, but, but you're back here tonight, and I'm entreating you, and I'm imploring you to come back and to follow Christ. See, a revolution is defined as an overthrow of one way of life for a new favorable one. But it also has another definition. It can mean a 360 degree turn. It can mean that you, that you make a revolution around something, that you revolve around something. And listen, for, for most of my life, I thought I could chase whatever I wanted and still be committed to Christ. That I thought I could just kind of revolve around my rebellious ways and think that that, how, that was somehow okay with Jesus. And I had this kind of hot tub theology where everything was cozy and comfortable. I had a casual Christianity that was marked by compromise. And I was far from a revolutionary because I revolved around my rebellious ways. And I lived a a sin confess, sin confess lifestyle where I was stuck in the cul-de-sac of stupidity, in the roundabout of ridiculousness, hoping to get different results, which is the definition of insanity. And I went to play football at this small university and our coach would always tell us, men, you got to break the chains. you got to break the cycles. you got to break the things that have you and your family in bondage. And I began to look around and say, oh God, I don't want to be divorced. I don't want to be addicted. I don't want to be a womanizer. I don't want to be a people pleaser. And these were the things that have marked me and marked my family. And so I made a decision by the grace of God that I was going to rise up and be a revolutionary. And listen, revolutionaries, they break the bondage. They break the revolution of their rebellion. They break the cycles of their sin. They see the crux of the revolution in Christ. They hear the call of Christ to follow him. And this is what it means to be a revolutionary. And some of y'all are like, man, I've tried to follow Jesus, but I keep falling. I keep failing. And listen, the problem isn't when we mess up. It's when we cover up and give up instead of open up and get up. And some of you are like, man, I've, I've, I've tried to follow Jesus, but I keep falling." Listen, welcome to the club. This isn't the fellowship of the perfect. This is the fellowship of the fallen. And you are in good company, man. It is hard to follow Jesus. It's hard to lay down your life. Listen, I've been at this thing for a decade now. And there's still days where I speak to my wife in ways that I should not. There are parts of my heart where I objectify people. I see people as objects and projects. But following Jesus is a commitment to get back up. And there are times when I fall and I wonder, God, do you still love me? What do you think of me? I'm not here yet. I fell and I didn't even set the thing in motion. God, what is your thought? of me? Listen, if that's you here tonight, God is not in love with some future version of you. He loves you right where you are, and I, I really can't understand His love, but I can get a glimpse, I can get a glimmer of the, sh- I can get a shadow of His great love by being a dad. And so yesterday, I, I go home, and, and, and my Anna Joyce, she's two years old, and. And she's standing on a chair at the table, and she just, she lights up when I come home. <laughs> and I love it, man. It's like an ego trip every time I come home. She's like, Daddy, 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 worship, you know. And so she's standing there on this chair right in front of our table, and I walk in the door, and she starts beating on the table. Ah! And she's saying, she do not even know how to say Daddy yet. She just. Ah, daddy! you know she's so excited and I'm like getting my shoes off you know I'm ready just to hug that girl and she gets so excited that she started in the chair she's like daddy dad, dad. and then she steps off the chair unbeknownst to her and then does one of those like right on the back just boom on the wooden floor and it was one of those that where you know it's like the delayed pain you know she hit the ground and she goes You know, And so I go over there, listen, this is not what I did, all right? I didn't go over there and go, you were just worshiping me and you fell? What's wrong with you? Yeah, you deserve to cry. And once you can get back up on your chair and worship me, then we'll hug. <laughs> no. Somebody call a CPS right now if that was me. No, here's what I did. I rushed to her and I picked her up and I said, shh, shh, it's okay. And I held her while she cried and I didn't condemn her because she fell, but I comforted her in her pain. And listen, some of y'all coming in here and you were, like 2018 was like, "Jesus, Jesus, Daddy, Daddy, you were worshiping him, and then you got in a little bit of close proximity with your past, you got thirsty for him and for some attention, you started tapping a little bit too far on your phone, you lost focus of the mission, and you boom, you ate it. And you're coming in here tonight and you're wondering, can I be a part of the revolution? I drank too much. I gave in to my anxiety. I should just give up. But I say to you revolutionary, rise up. Rise up and let us be a part of the greatest revolution, the irresistible revolution. And let us make a commitment to get back up and to pick up our cross and to follow Christ by the power of God and to break the cycles of sin that you have been revolving around. So as we close tonight, I want to introduce to you a new song, Uh, the song is simply called Cycles. And in the song, you'll hear it, it says this, that the devil, he learns from your mistakes even if you don't, because he wants to keep you in a cycle, a cycle of sin. But the refrain of the song, and I want you to declare it tonight and believe it with every fiber of your being, that Jesus has come to break every cycle. And I wanna pray that he will. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for tonight. God, I thank you for my friends. God, I ask that you would help us to be a part of the revolution. God, help us to rise up. Help us to know you and to make you known. God, I pray that we would lay down the things that are entangling us and we would run with perseverance. And that you would break cycles tonight, that tonight would be a night of decision, where we would set things in motion so that we would gain momentum to reach maturity, so that we can be a part of this great movement and this great mission called the Jesus Revolution, called the Church of Christ. In Christ's name I pray, amen.